they're just getting back from vacation, so I know that's a little hectic, um, but we appreciate them. Uh, does anybody else besides me like road trips? Anybody else love to go on road trips? All right, I love road trips. I love driving. I love going out on the open road and just cruising and seeing different parts of the country. Now, uh, Chelsea and I and, and our, our family, we just got back from vacation last night. Uh, and for the first time in going to Florida, um, or really anywhere beach other than um, Mexico, we, we did this um, without taking a road trip. We'd always done road trips before to get there. Now, road trips seem to lose their appeal slightly when you have an almost three-year-old and a four-month-old, right? <laughs> the idea of 13 to 14 hours in a car is no longer quite as appealing. So we did, uh, we did, the, we did the flight route, um, but I missed the road trip aspect of it. Uh, I love just, just driving, just going and seeing God's creation wherever I go. And um, as part of my love for, for road trips, I'm going to do a little shameless plug here. Uh, our teens are, are combining a mission trip and a road trip this summer. Uh, we're doing a, a mission trip called Be Your Kingdom Here, uh, where we're going to combine the, the best parts of a mission trip and the best parts of a road trip. And we're going to go around uh, to some different communities uh, in Indianapolis and Chicago and Toledo and Detroit. And we're going to see what is God up to in these communities, uh, in these different contexts. And hopefully by, by looking at what is God up to in these contexts, we can begin to answer the question, who is God calling us to be? What is God calling us to do? So uh, I just want to throw this out there that we are currently doing a little fundraiser. Uh, we're doing a mileage sponsorship. We have an 851-mile road trip that we're going to be taking. And you have the opportunity to partner with us by sponsoring a portion of that. Uh, if you would stop out in the foyer, there's a little display. You can take an envelope. Um, you can drop that envelope in an offering plate, an offering box, or in, a, in our office if you would like to partner with our teens uh, in, in making this tra- trip happen. But I love road trips. And so as a youth pastor, I'm like, if I can combine a mission trip and my favorite as a road trip. Now, it's still to be determined whether a road trip with uh, 16 teenagers is going to be as fun as just a road trip with me, and my, with me and my wife. We'll see. As long as they have deodorant, it should be okay. Um, when you're in a road trip, though, right, there's so many different directions being thrown at you, right? You have your directions, like what you want to do, where, where you think you should go, the best route that you think you should take. Then you have the GPS directions being thrown at you, telling you which way to go. And then, guys, there's always the wife in the passenger seat, right? Telling you directions as well that you need to be going on. You have all these different directions being thrown at you on how this road trip should pan out. Does anybody else like to outsmart their GPSs, though? Anybody else try to outsmart their GPSs? Ryan Polly, you're the only one. Thanks. Glad somebody. Uh, when, when I plug an address into my ad, uh, wait, what? An address into my GPS, I see the time that it tells me I'm going to arrive there. And I tell that GPS, I guarantee I can shave at least three minutes off of that time that you're telling me I'm going to get there. And nobody else does that? 
Okay, all right. I thought you all liked to outsmart your GPS just like I did. My first GPS was a little TomTom. You guys remember the TomToms? It was little, like you had to have a magnifying glass to be able to see it because it was so small. I used to work at Radio Shack. Um, and Radio Shack, things would, would kind of go on clearance if they just sat there for too long. And we had this one particular TomTom GPS unit that sat on the display wall, the GPS display wall, forever, and it, went, it was discontinued, it went on clearance, and it just sat there and sat there and sat there, and when it sits there, the price just drops and drops and drops. And finally, I simply couldn't resist a $12 TomTom GPS any longer, and I had to buy this GPS. It was my first GPS. Now, f uh, fast forward a couple years, someone actually got into my car and stole the GPS. Little did they know that I only paid $12 for that thing. <laughs> Joke's on them. <laughs> um, anyway, this TomTom, -tom, I got it, I got it home, it obviously had been sitting on the, on the shelf forever, and I got it into my, into my car, uh, and the maps were so out of date, like I don't even think that 71 was anywhere in existence on my TomTom -tom GPS, so this GPS was extremely easy to outsmart, right? Does anybody else use their GPS, though, for, for destinations where you already know where you're going? Why do you do that? so that you can see if you can beat the time, right? That's the only reason you would plug a destination that you already know how to get to in a GPS. So I would do this, I'd plug it into my TomTom, -tom, and it would take me this crazy way because the maps were so far out of date and I knew that my way was better and I could beat this GPS. Unfortunately, with technology today, my GPS is right here, which means that my GPS is always up to date and always current, right? And I love it, except for the fact that I can't beat Waze on this phone. Does anybody else use Waze? All right, Waze is the best GPS app ever, in case you, uh, they didn't pay me to advertise their product either. It's just that good. I can never beat Waze because it's constantly being updated. People are constantly reporting traffic jams, uh, reporting police officers, so I know that I have to slow down or continue to go the speed limit that I was already going to get to, get to where I was going. I can't beat ways. It's frustrating, but it's convenient as well. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, we, were, we were on our way back from Florida. This was actually a road trip. Um, and we we're driving north through Alabama. And we're on whatever interstate. I don't even remember what interstate we were driving. Thank you, GPS. I could just drive. Um, we, <laughs> we were on the interstate. And all of a sudden, Ways tells me to get off on this exit. Oh, that's interesting. I know I have about 7 million more miles to go before I should be getting off the interstate. So I do it because I can't outsmart ways. And so I, I, I go off and I'm driving through these back country roads. And I'm like, what are you doing, stupid GPS? I could be driving nine, seven, 65 miles per hour <laughs> on the highway, but instead you have me here going 45 miles an hour through these back country roads. And finally, about a half hour later, it dumps me back onto the, out onto the internet. Internet? <laughs> Boy, it's weird. Um, what? Interstate, that's what we're looking for. It dumped me back out onto the interstate. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. You just took me through this scenic route of Alabama, which isn't really that scenic, um, and dumped me back out on the interstate where I knew I should have been anyway. A couple minutes later, my parents called me. They were driving back up from Florida as well. They're not quite as technologically advanced as I am. So they had an old GPS. And they were sitting on the interstate, a two-hour delay, just sitting there. Waze, which I thought, I can't outsmart this guy. 
but he's pretty stupid in this situation, had taken me around this two-hour delay, and I was on my way, and I smoked my parents uh, the rest of the way home. <laughs> I couldn't outsmart it. There are directions in road trips. There are directions flying every which direction uh, at you. Your, your own directions, your, your wife's directions, your GPS directions. There's lots of directions everywhere, and it's, it's kind of chaotic. But isn't that the way that life is sometimes? There's these directions and these decisions and these life transitions that are constantly being thrown at us. And to be honest, it's quite stressful. We've been going through this series called Pressure Cooker uh, for the past several weeks as a, as a church. Uh, if you've not been here, we've, we've been looking at kind of some of these life stressors. We sent out a survey and said, what are the biggest stressors in your life? And we've looked at those and we've kind of come up with the idea that God doesn't want us to be overwhelmed by the stresses in our life. He's given us tools to overcome these pressures or these stresses in our life. Um, Today, I want to talk about these life decisions, life transitions. I want to be clear that sometimes these life decisions and life transitions are kind of um, on our own terms, right? We graduate from high school, and it's time for a decision and a transition, right? No one forced you to, I guess maybe you were forced to graduate high school, maybe. You could have had a truancy officer come to your house, I guess, this is kind of on your own terms, right? You're deciding what your next, um, your next chapter in your life is going to look like. But we also have those times when life decisions and life transitions are completely out of our control. And it's simply the circumstances of life. I think of the Gilmans and the news that they've, they've recently received about Nancy. And it's all of a sudden this crazy, chaotic life transition and life decisions that you're thrown into. Sometimes these decisions are, like I said, are on your own term and in your own accord, but sometimes they're just thrown at you and you have no control over them. Regardless of what the reason is, they're sometimes stressful. They're pressure cookers in our life. Throughout this series, we've kind of taken John uh, chapter 16 and verse 33 as kind of our theme verse. And this is Jesus talking and he says, in this world you will have trouble. There's no way around it. You will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus, God in flesh, overcame the world so that we can overcome. Jesus overcame, therefore we can also overcome. And we've kind of developed this little motto uh, through this pressure cooker series. And we've kind of said, I will overcome, not be overwhelmed. Because these pressures in life, it's so easy to be overwhelmed by them. But the plan that Jesus has for us is not to be overwhelmed, but to overcome because he overcame. So on this graduation Sunday, uh, we celebrate our graduates for their awesome accomplishment that they worked really hard towards. But we also recognize that in this season in their life, but not just in their life, in our lives, there are seasons of life decisions and life transitions. And we also recognize that with those decisions and transitions come stress. It's part of the decision-making in the, in the life transitions. It becomes stressful, like the road trip where there's these lots of different um, visions and directions for you. Um, life has these different visions, directions, ideas of where your life should go. 
I want you to watch a, a, a few minutes of a video here to kind of illustrate this idea of lots of different visions for life. First of all, anybody, anybody else think the class of 2024 and 2028 is just crazy? Like, I never even knew those years would actually exist. And now we're talking about the class of 2028. Um, there, there are lots of visions and ideas for what our lives will look like. Right? As, as kids, uh, we have this, this idea of what we want our life to look like when we grow up. And then we ask the parents, and sometimes they're, they're, they're pretty similar, but sometimes they're completely different, right? A math teacher versus a firefighter. <laughs> sometimes they're completely different. We have these different visions for what our life will look like. We have our own desires. And it's not just as a kid, uh, we, as an adult, we have our own desires and our own ideas of what will our life look like. But we also have our parents. Our parents play in, uh, have, a, have a big influence on, on what we'll do and, and what they want to see in our lives uh, kind of shapes and influences us. Sometimes, if you're still in school, we have teachers who have visions for what our life looks like. And some of you teachers out there, you have visions for some of your students of what they will do when they graduate or when they, when they, when they become an adult. And I've got to tell you that the look on my calculus teacher's face when she found out what I wanted to do was priceless <laughs> because I was really good at math in high school, like really good at math. And one day our calculus, our calculus teacher was kind of just asking what we were going to do with our education. Um, and she came to me and I told her that I was going to be a truck driver. <laughs> And the look on my calculus teacher's face when I told her that I wanted to be a truck driver after champing her class was absolutely priceless. Sometimes our teachers and people of influence have visions for what our life will look like. Um, our friends, does anybody's uh, yearbooks, like in high school, have the uh, most likely to, whatever, do they still do that in your, okay, most likely to... Um, own a business or most likely to be a millionaire. Our friends, our peers have ideas of what your life should look like. Uh, they have a vision for what your life will be uh, in the future. Uh, we have other family members, extended family members with their ideas of what your life will look like. And there's all these different visions that are being thrown at you and ideas of what your life should look like. And it's no wonder that it's chaotic and stressful. Right? How do I make these decisions or how do I know what to do when there are so many different visions for my life? Can I sum up the idea of what it looks like to overcome this stress with one simple thought? To overcome this stress is this, finding God's vision for our life. Right? We have so many other different visions, and it's not that they're bad visions for our life. My parents' vision for my life was not bad. My teacher's vision for my life was not bad. My own vision for my life was not necessarily bad. But we find God's vision, then that's the vision that we follow. And we don't worry about all the other voices and visions that are being thrown at us. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 uh, you, you probably have heard it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will what? Direct your paths. See, God doesn't want you to be bogged down and stressed out by these directions and visions and transitions and decisions in your life. He wants to direct your path. 
He wants to be the one to direct your path, but it requires us to lean on his understanding, not the understanding of our parents and ourselves and our classmates, but on his understanding. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we find God's vision? I don't want to just settle this morning with the, the really churchy and simplistic answer of just find God's vision and your life will be all good. If you can just find what God has for you, then everything will be okay. Because that's really simplistic, and I don't know that it's any really practical help. And the idea when we came up with this, this pressure cooker sermon series was that we don't want to just talk about these stresses in life and say, God doesn't want you to be bogged down by these stresses in life. But we wanted to give you very practical tools on how do we, how do, we do this? How do we overcome these stresses? And so I want to, I want to kind of do that uh, this morning. Now, wouldn't it be really easy if God just, um, have you ever seen those pilots that, um, Dave, you may do this, I don't know, where you write in the sky with the vapor off of your airplane? You never do that? Oh, that would be really cool. In your, in your commercial airlines, that would be awesome if you could do that. <laughs> Has anybody ever seen that? They, they write messages in the sky with like the vapor trails. I don't know if that's the technical term for what comes out of an airplane. Um, but they write these messages in the sky. And I always thought, man, wouldn't that be cool if God portrayed his vision for our life in that way? Now, I guess he wouldn't technically have to hire a pilot to do that. Like he could just, I don't know, finger paint with the clouds and just kind of write a message like, Josh, this is what you're going to do. Or Matt, this is what you're doing after high school. Wouldn't that be awesome? It's never happened to me. Maybe it has to you. Um, it's hard. Sometimes it's tough. How do we find what God's vision is for our life? I asked some of the graduates um, before I was kind of writing this sermon, why do you think it is that this is so difficult? Like that finding God's vision in your life is difficult for you and making these life decisions is difficult. And I'm going to kind of uh, just touch on those real briefly and see if you can relate. Maybe you're not graduating from high school this year, but see if you can relate to some of these things that make it difficult. Um, one said that, that maybe they don't feel like God always gives you a clear direction and kind of lets you just kind of go with gentle guiding, and he doesn't give you this clear-cut direction. Uh, one says maybe they, they, they tend to overthink things rather than just uh, turning to God. And they overthink what, what, what they want to do and what the decisions they're going to make rather than simply turning to God. One said maybe it's the fear of consequences. Because every decision that we make and every life transition, there are consequences, right? There, now some of them may be good and some of them may be bad, but there are always consequences. And so maybe it's that fear of what the consequences of my decision in this life transition may be. Uh, another said the pressure of other people. And we have other people who have these visions for your life and the pressure is real. Um, or maybe it's the reaction of others when they find out what your vision, the vision for your life or God's vision for your life is. Kind of like my math teacher when I said I want to be a truck driver. The reaction of people. Can you relate to those? Sometimes they make this decision-making process a little bit tough. So I want to get practical. This morning for the next, uh, the next little bit, I want to I get really practical. I want to look at, this is obviously a stressor in our life. And we've kind of summed up the solution to this stressor in life as we've got to find God's vision. But how? How do we do that? And I want to get practical. In order to do this, I want to look at the life of Moses. 
uh, Moses, you can, you can find the, the whole story uh, kind of starting in Exodus 2. I'm not going to read through the entire story. Um, I'm just going to touch on some, some major, major themes, and then we'll go back through and pull out some practical nuggets from this. Exodus chapter 2, uh, we see that Moses was born a Hebrew. And in the time that he was born a Hebrew, it was a little tough to be a newborn male Hebrew. Because the order was to kill the, the, uh, the, the um, male Hebrews that were born. And so Moses was born. And his family, in, a, in a, kind of a, a weird way to try to save his life, uh, essentially abandoned him. They abandoned him and put him in a basket and floated him down the river. So Moses was a Hebrew child who was abandoned by his family. Later we see that he was kind of taken in as a foster child. Um, and then we see that he was adopted by the daughter of Pharaoh. Then we see, as his life kind of went on and he got older, we see that his temper and his anger kind of got the best of him. He saw something that he didn't like between an Egyptian and a Hebrew, and he took matters into his own hands and murdered the Egyptian. So he was a Hebrew, abandoned by his family, a foster child, an adopted child, um, became a murderer. And then we see that he kind of escaped from this world that he was living in and became a shepherd. Then we see that God called we know how God called, right? Through this burning bush that didn't actually burn up. But God called to him and told him what his vision was for his life. And we see that Moses argued. He came up with some pretty good excuses. Uh, he argued uh, God's call for his life. And then we finally see that reluctantly Moses went. And in Moses going, we see that God fulfilled his plan. Right? God fulfilled his purpose. He carried out the redemption of his people from slavery. There are lots of transitions and decisions in the story of, in the story of Moses. And as we kind of go through this, I want to pull, pull out six very practical things when it comes to finding God's vision in our life. First is this. God does have a plan for your life, regardless of your past or your present circumstances. And that's a very good thing. <laughs> Because when we look back at our life and we think, man, the things that I've done, the places I've been, or if we look at our present circumstances, at where we're at right now, and we think, there is no way God can do something with this old life of mine. We see in the life of Moses, God has a plan for you, a plan for your life, regardless of your past and present circumstances. You see, God's vision for your life, which by the way, this is kind of fascinating to think about. Think of your life on the grand spectrum of all of eternity. It's just a mere dot, right? The teens, I, I kind of talked about this with the teens a couple of weeks ago, and we stretched this rope all the way across the gym, and I drew a dot on one piece of the rope, as if that rope kind of signified eternity, and our life was that dot, and aside from embedding our life in the vision and the mission of God, it's pretty meaningless, right? Because it's very temporary and it's very minute in all of this spectrum. But when we embed it in the vision and the mission of God, then it has purpose. So the vision for your life um, that, that is just this blip on all of eternity intersects with God's grand story. How cool is that? That that little dot of me right here on earth for these 
70, 80, however many years I live, that God intersects that little blip with his grand story. God responded in compassion. We see in in Exodus 2.23 that God had heard the cries of his people. They were, uh, they, were, they were groaning of their slavery and they, and they wanted help and God heard their cry and he had a plan to redeem his people. And that plan involved intersecting the life of Moses, who again was abandoned by his family, was taken as a foster child and then adopted and then became a murderer and kind of escaped from things. God used the life of Moses. When he intersected it with his grand story, we see that Moses played an integral part in the, in the story of God's redemption. God has a vision for your life. God has a plan for your life, regardless of your past and your present. And his vision for your life always has a purpose in his grand story. We may not see it right now, but his vision for your life always has a, grand, has a, has a place in his grand story. The second thing I want to pull from, from the story of Moses is this. I believe that God gives you his vision. I believe that God gives his vision to you when he has your attention. God will give you his vision for your life when he has your attention. Think about the life of Moses. Moses was a shepherd. Anybody, anybody ever been a shepherd? Shepherds? Shepherded? <laughs> what? Anybody ever been a shepherd? Okay, me neither. But I would imagine that as a shepherd out in the field tending my flock, there would be a lot of time for reflection, right? There would be a lot of time for just silence and listening. And I don't think it's by accident that it was at this time when Moses had removed himself from all the distractions of life that God revealed his vision for his life. Now, as I was kind of going through this and wrestling with this, I I don't necessarily know that Moses was seeking God's vision for his life at this point. He was just kind of, I think he was just kind of content with doing his shepherding thing. But he had this time of reflection, this time where God had his attention. And it was in this moment when God has had his attention that he revealed his vision for his life. For me, I told you this, and it, it's a true story, that my dream job truly was to be a truck driver. <laughs> um, up until the summer between my junior and senior year. That was, that's what I was dead set on. But it wasn't because I was looking for what God's vision was in my life. It was my own vision for my life. It's what I wanted to do. I wanted to see the countryside, and I loved to drive. And so if I could be a truck driver, I could do that. But then my, the summer, year, summer between my junior and senior year, uh, I went to the Nazarene Youth Conference, uh, which we had a few teens go to last year. And I set aside a week to intentionally give God my full attention. I said, God, I'm removing myself from the distractions of life back home, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to focus on you, and I have your attention. You have, sorry, you have my attention. And I focused my attention on him, and it was in that moment that I first began to realize a call to ministry. I set aside a week to give him my attention, and that's where I found God's vision for my life. What about you? Are you creating space to give God your attention? Or are you so busy with, with other things that God really wants to reveal his vision for you and he wants to help you in these life decisions, but you're so stinking busy that you can't hear him? 
And he's saying, I want to just give you this vision, but you won't stop and slow down long enough for me to give it to you. Are you taking time of just silence and listening to God? I know that's tough. I don't like silence. Usually when it's silent, I like to fill it with music. Are you taking time to simply listen to God? Does God have your attention? If you want to hear God's vision for you, you've got to give him your attention. The third thing I want to pull from, from Moses' life is this. When it comes to dealing with the stresses of life decisions and transitions, I believe that we've got to seek godly counsel. We've got to seek the counsel of people who are wiser than us, who, who are going to um, give you the godly counsel that you need. In, in, in Moses' life, we see that uh, Moses was kind of wrestling with God on this, on this vision, or this call that, he was, that God was calling him to, and, and kind of making up these excuses of why he can't do it, and God saying, no, you can do it, this is what I have for you, and finally Moses is kind of like, all right, I guess I'm not going to win this argument, so I'm going to do it. But then what we see in, in Exodus uh, chapter 4, verse 18, is Moses, it says, uh, then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me go back to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are alive. Jethro said, Go, and I wish you well. This is kind of all that the scripture gives us of this conversation. But I kind of think that there was more to this, this conversation than what is recorded here. Because I kind of think that Moses had had this crazy experience where he had experienced God in the burning bush, and God had given this vision for his life, and Obviously, he thought he was a little bit crazy because he saw a burning bush and God speaking through the burning bush. And he goes back to his father-in-law, someone that he trusted, someone that could give him counsel. And I kind of think that in this conversation between Moses and Jethro, there was a lot of um, counsel and advice that was given. Moses kind of trusted his, his father-in-law and, and kind of explained what had happened. Said, this is what, this is what happened. And, and Jethro was probably like, you're crazy because you saw a burning bush and God speaking to you in it. But there was, I, 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 I've got to believe that Moses was kind of seeking the counsel of someone that he trusted. And Jethro kind of encouraging him. Yeah, I think maybe God is calling you to this. It says, go and I wish you well. Jethro kind of saying, yeah, this is what God has for you. Kind of, um, kind of enforcing God's call and saying, yep, that is what God has for you. Do you have people in your life that you can go to for godly advice and counsel? When, when, when life decisions and life trans transitions get tough and they're stressing you out, do you have people that you can go to and kind of bounce ideas off of and say, hey, what do you think about this? And they can either say, yeah, definitely, or they can say, you're crazy. I don't know that that's the right, the right thing. Do you have people that you trust and you can seek counsel from? As part of the pastoral staff, I would say to you that we would love to, to help you in that area. Um, we would love to, uh, if we can be of any assistance in that, in, in kind of uh, helping you wrestle with God's call or God's decisions in your life or transitions, we would love to do that. But do you have mentors, people who mentor you, people who have been doing this, walking with Jesus for a lot longer than you have? who can come along and, and guide you and mentor you and give you that godly counsel. Moses sought the counsel of Jethro. Um, if we're going to find God's vision for our life, I believe that we have to find 
godly counsel. The next thing uh, for Moses is not only do we need to seek, seek counsel, but we've got to seek alongsiders. What do I mean by alongsiders? I mean those people who will just come alongside you in your journey as you're trying to figure out what God is doing in your life and what God is, is leading you towards. You've got to have people who will come alongside you. We were never meant to do this thing alone. Right? God places us in community with alongsiders who will walk this walk with you as an encouragement and to help you through this just to be there with you. For Moses, who did he send along? Aaron. Moses is like, I can't do this. This is crazy. I don't, this, this is not going to work. And finally God says, okay, I'm going to give you Aaron to kind of come alongside you and to walk through this journey with you. Do you have alongsiders in your, in your walk with Christ? Do you have those people that can just be an encouragement and walk with you and you can throw things at them and they'll encourage you and walk alongside you? Seek the alongsiders. But here's the thing. Sometimes God's vision seems way out of reach, Right? When Moses was, was looking at this burning bush and listening to God, and God was saying that you are going to go back to Egypt, which, by the way, was a place where you killed someone and you had to kind of flee and get away from there. You're going to go back to Egypt, and you're going to lead my people out of slavery from this powerful Pharaoh. And you're going to tell him that, that he's got to let him go, and he's going to, he's going to do it, and you're going, to, you're going to lead them out. And Moses is like, there's no way. I can't do this. I can't even speak straight. There's no way Pharaoh's going to listen to me. These people have been in slavery for forever, and there's no way this is going to happen. Sometimes God, God's vision for our life seems way out of reach. But there's this two-word phrase that I've come to love uh, over the past few months, and it's this, but God. Sometimes God's vision in our life seems way out of reach, but God. But God went ahead of Moses into the land of Egypt to prepare the way for Moses to lead them out of slavery. But God gave Moses uh, signs of, of, uh, to build his confidence in order to know that this is what I have for you. But God. This vision was way out of the reach of Moses. But God. Is God calling you to something that you're like, there is no way in the world that I could do that. That's way out of the reach of me. I could never do that. It will never work. It would just be a failure. But God. In, in, in Exodus 4, 11 and 12, uh, God is kind of responding to Moses' excuse, excuses that he's coming up with. He's coming up with all kinds of excuses that Pharaoh will never listen to him. I can't speak. Uh, I, I'm not very fluent in my speech and, and there's no way that this worked. And he comes up with excuse after excuse after excuse. And in, in chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, uh, it says, The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who, who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. God is responding to Moses' excuses of why this vision for his life is way out of his reach. And God responds with a but God. It's kind of like, God, I can't do this because I can't even speak. And God is like, 
but I'm God. <laughs> I'm the one who created your lips to even make you be able to speak. And he says, but, but Pharaoh will never listen. God said, but, but it's me. But I'm calling you to this. And am I not the one who created ears and makes people deaf and mute? And you're telling me that Pharaoh's not going to listen. God responds to this overwhelming vision in Moses' life and in, in, in Moses' um, his, his complaints and his excuses, God responds by saying, but God. No, Moses, you can't do this. But God can. <laughs> but I can. I created your lips. I created the ears. I can do this. And sometimes your decisions seem overwhelming and, and like, if I go this direction, there's no way that this is going to work. But maybe God is calling you to, calling you to it. But God, God goes ahead. God prepares the way. Finally, uh, I think that sometimes God's, God's vision for us is found in a burning bush. Uh, Moses had this burning bush experience where there was no doubt what God was calling him to do. He couldn't deny it. Um, this is what God had in store for him. Sometimes God, God's vision comes to us in burning bush moments. But I think that most of the time it doesn't. Um, you see, in, in the life of, of Moses, there was um, this constant following of God and, and kind of finding God's will and plan for his life. And there was one burning bush. And so the rest of the time, uh, is, is Moses, does, does God not have a vision for Moses? I don't think so. I think that it's just that it, sometimes God's vision comes in these burning bush moments, but other times it doesn't. And that's not really helpful, is it? <laughs> because we like these burning bush moments where it's very clear, because if it's very clear, then we can certainly follow God's will. But how do we, how do, we do it when they're not burning bush moments? How do we know what God's vision is for us? I think that Isaiah 30, chapter, chapter 30, verse 21, kind of gives us a little bit of insight to what this looks like. It says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Wherever you go, whether you go and you wander off a little bit, there's this voice behind you saying, this is the way that I want you to go. I want you to go this way. We learn to hear that, that whisper behind us by getting to know God's voice. We, we kind of begin to recognize God's voice. Like the, the, the Holy Spirit song that we sing, um, it, it says, help us become more aware of your presence. The longer we do this and we, we, we get used to, to what God's vision or God's voice behind us sounds like, we begin to recognize it and we understand what this still small voice behind us saying, go this way and go that way sounds like. And it's not these burning bush moments. It kind of becomes like the GPS on the road trip. Right? I have Chelsea's, <laughs> Chelsea's voice in one ear telling me where to go. I don't know if Chelsea's in here or not, but so I can say what I want to say. Uh, no, I'm just, um, I have Chelsea's voice in my ear telling me which way she thinks I should go. I have uh, my ideas of where I think we should go and what I think the best route is. And I have the traffic around me that is going the direction that they think they should be going and all the while, I have this still, small voice of the GPS saying, go this way, 
or go that way. And no matter what direction I go in, and if I, if I make a wrong turn, what does the GPS do? It simply says, recalculating. Now go this way. Now go that way. It never gets mad at me. It never yells at me. Sometimes it probably should and say, hey, Josh, you're an idiot. You should have turned back there. But it never does that. I make a wrong turn and I veer off and it says, recalculating. Now go left. Now go right. Isn't God kind of like that? <laughs> like when, when we, when we, no matter which direction we go, and sometimes we veer off and we make the wrong turn, but God is not up there yelling at us and saying, you're an idiot, you should have gone this way, right? Recalculating. Hey, Josh, you shouldn't have turned back there, so we're, we're going to turn left and we're going to turn right here. That still small voice behind us that's leading us and giving his vision for us. Can you hear him? Can you hear his voice? Are you able to recognize God's voice in your life, giving you the vision and the direction in your life? God has this grand vision for your life, and he wants to intersect the vision for your life into the grand story that he is doing. Can you hear it? Can you hear him? Can you recognize his voice? I know that it's tough because we're used to things like GPSs that vocally tell us, audibly tell us what we should be doing. I know it's difficult. But it's my prayer this morning that we find in the life of Moses some very practical uh, ways to, to overcome so that we're not overwhelmed by the stresses of life decisions, life transitions, and finding God's vision and call for us. Are you willing to seek counsel? Do you have people in your life that you can seek counsel from? Do you have alongsiders, people that will simply walk with you? Um, are, are you able to remember that when it seems way too big for you, and you remember the two words, but God? Are you able to recognize God's voice so that God can be that still small voice behind you telling you to go this way or that way? Would you stand with me? God, if we are honest, uh, we will admit that sometimes this is very difficult. Um, trying to find what it is that you have for our lives, your vision for our life, um, trying to discern that in the, in the noise of all the other visions and directions for our life is very difficult. God, would you help us to um, apply some of these practical tools from the life of Moses? Would you help us to Learn to recognize your still small voice. And maybe you have burning bush moments for us, and that would be awesome. But in the times when it's not the burning bush moments, teach us to recognize your voice. Help us to, help us to know that you are behind us, telling us which way to go. God, I pray once again for, uh, for our graduates, as they are ending one chapter and beginning another chapter. And they've made decisions and more decisions are going to be on their way. Would you continue to guide them and lead them? And likewise for the rest of the congregation. As we face life decisions and life transitions, would you guide us? Would you make your vision clear to us? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great day, guys.